This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. days that happen in life that change absolutely everything for us, aren't there? You know, for me, as I reflect back on some of those days in my life, there's a few that stand out. The, maybe one of the most significant or the most significant day, of course, is my wedding day, right, as a young man when Kim and I got married and literally everything changed for me. Went from two bank accounts to one. Two schedules to one, the two flesh became one. Everything changed for me on our wedding day. Only for the better, by the way, in case you're wondering. Never for the worse, that's for sure. And then I think as well to the day when each of my children were born. We've got three kids, think back to their birthdays and holding them for the first time. And as I held them as a new dad, just thinking, man, like from this day forward, nothing's going to be the same in my life, right? My life, our life together, Kim and my life as husband, it's going to revolve around this little baby and who they become and the way we spend our money, our time, the thought energy that we have. It's all going to be centered in and around these three kids. Everything changed. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And then for me, I think of the day that Kim and I decided to respond to God's call to move here to Ottawa. We're from Sheridan, Ontario. That's where our family lives. That's where our friends all were. And we felt God leading us to move up here and leave all that behind. Literally everything changed. Right? We moved into a new, new space, new church, new friends, new school, new everything. And then most importantly, I think back to the day when I surrendered my life to Jesus in his lordship in my life as a young 16-year-old boy the day before second semester of grade 11 just felt like god was kind of coming after me that there were just things happening in my life where it was very evident that he was at work and finally the day before second semester grade 11 just surrendered my life to jesus and said all right i give in i surrender my life to you it's a day that changed everything, the whole trajectory of my life was that very day. There are certain days, right, and events, experiences in life that change everything for us, aren't there? And there's no question that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday is one of those days, isn't it? In fact, it's not just one of those days, it's really the day more than any other day, that changes absolutely everything for us. If only we'd let it. In fact, if you could take the entire message of the New Testament, the entire message of Christianity, and distill it down into just one statement, I think you could say it like this. It's that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. That's the message of Christianity in a nutshell. 
that because Jesus has risen from the dead, our, our past can be changed. And our present can be changed. And so can our future. The, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It, it changes our past, right? It wipes out the power of our sin and our shame and all the things that we've done or had done to us in the past that we carry with us. Because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death once and for all, we can be set free from the power of our past. It also changes our present. Right? It changes our present because the Holy Spirit now can change us as a result of the resurrection. It can change our character. He can change our character. He can change our values. He can change our worldview. He can change our convictions. He can change our perspective on our present troubles. The way that we navigate difficulties and struggles in life changes our present. The resurrection, though, also changes our future past, present, and future, as we know that one day, Jesus, our resurrected Savior, he will return. And the dead in Christ, you and I who are in Christ, will also be raised to life. In everything wrong in the world, Jesus will make right. He will put to right everything that is wrong, everything that is broken in our world. That's our future hope changes our future, the resurrection does. But the resurrection of Jesus literally changes everything. We see this all throughout the pages of the New Testament. As again, I think it's the message of Christianity in a nutshell, where in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, just for example, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you are still guilty of your sins. Like, like, quite literally, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, if he was not resurrected, then he was nothing more than a martyr. That's it. And, and history is full of stories about martyrs, right? People who died for a just cause. Dr. Martin Luther King, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Joan of Arc. Down the line, you could go... Their, their stories, they inspire us, they compel us to action, but they are not our saviors. They did not change everything about our lives. Their stories are beautiful stories, but Jesus' story is more than their story because Jesus, in the end, he rose from the, from the dead. But on the other hand, if Christ did raise from the dead, right, if He's more than a martyr. Well, then this does change everything for us. Changes our past. No longer guilty of our sin. Changes our present as we are changed. It changes our future as we have hope for what lies ahead. The resurrection changes everything. Hard reality, though, about the resurrection, I think, is this. This is, this is the difficult part of Easter Sunday. I like, we like to sing songs and clap hands and he is risen, he is risen indeed. But here's the hard reality about resurrection. It's that resurrection is not possible without death first. That's how resurrection works, right? We celebrated, if you're with us, on Friday, the death of Jesus on the cross. Where he took upon himself the sins of the world. Everything wrong and broken and evil in the world, he took upon himself on the cross. And sin and death and evil, it, it died with him there on the cross. 
But resurrection is only possible because Jesus did that. Right? Just as you can't have healing without a wound, you can't experience resurrection life without death first, without letting go of our sin, letting go of the evils, letting go of all the things that hold us back, and letting them die first. We have to let things go in order to experience new life in Christ. Death always precedes resurrection. I don't know about you, but I don't like that very much. I like the resurrection part. I like the victory story. I like the happy, clappy songs. <laughs> I like the feel-good, you know, hey, hope for the future. I, I like all that kind of stuff. But pain, loss, death, suffering, that's something I'd rather skip. I'd love to have resurrection without death. Death always precedes resurrection. Apostle Paul picks up on this very idea in another passage in Romans 6, verses 5 through to 11, where he says this. He says, since we have been united with him in his death, right, since as followers of Jesus, we in a sense went to the cross with him and died there. Our old selves died with Jesus on the cross. We will also, <clears throat> Paul says, be raised to life as he was. Knowing that death always precedes resurrection. Right? We have to be united with Christ in his sufferings on the cross if we want to experience new life in him. Verse 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of our sin. Right? Where on the cross, our old selves, our sinful selves, our old nature, it died with Jesus on the cross. And now in Christ, we live a new life in him. Kind of like Bachelor Jeff doesn't exist anymore. And that's good for everybody, by the way, that Bachelor Jeff is not a thing. I got married. That day, it changed everything. Now Mary Jeff is a better version of Jeff, I think, than Bachelor Jeff. It's kind of what resurrection life is like, only obviously way better. Right? New life in Christ. The old self is gone. And a new life in Christ has now begun. I think of Jesus' words on the cross as he hung there. We looked at the seven phrases of Christ, of Christ on the cross on Good Friday. One of the things he said was, it is finished. Right? Our sin bill, the stuff in our past that we've done that is wrong, that has hurt God, hurt others, hurt ourselves, hurt our world, it has been paid in full by Jesus because of the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross. And because that's true, because sin, it died with him there, and now on Sunday we, we celebrate the resurrection, we can experience new life in Christ. As a result, our old self is gone. We have new life in Christ. Verse 8. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die Again, death no longer has power over him. You know, there's other stories of people in the Bible who rose from the dead. In a sense, they were resuscitated, though. They, did not, they were not resurrected because they died again. Jesus did not die again. He's the only one to have been truly resurrected, and death no longer has power over him. Verse 10, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to sin and 
power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The past, sin, shame, all the stuff gone, new life in Christ. But we can't experience that new life in Christ without first letting go of our past and letting certain things die first. Because death always precedes resurrection. So here's some questions for you as we think about how the resurrection changes everything for you and for me in our lives. First question is this. What's something from your past? Sin, shame, guilt, destructive stuff that still has power over you today that you need to let die in order to experience new resurrection life in Christ? What do you have to let, let go of? of a cross? What do you need to let die in order to experience resurrection life? As we think about how the resurrection changes our present as well, what, what might be a current challenge for you in your life right now? A struggle, a difficulty that you're going through relationally, health-wise, whatever the case may be. What, what's a current challenge that you're enduring, that you're going through, that Jesus would be inviting you to surrender to him so that he can give you his perspective on your problems here and now in the present. And as we think about how the resurrection of Jesus also changes our future, how might the resurrection of Jesus give you hope for the future? So of catastrophizing everything and negative about it. How might knowing that in the end Jesus wins? And that because Jesus rose from the dead, in the end everything is going to be okay. Be more than okay. How might that give you hope for the future? Here's here's what I know. Um, I know that our world is dying for resurrection life. Our world is dying for resurrection life. We live in a Good Friday world, don't we? Where it seems as though sin and death and evil have won. Right? There's no hope for the future. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we are Easter people. We are resurrection people. We are people of hope because we know that in the end, Jesus wins. It doesn't make our present problems and difficulties easy to go through, but it changes the way that we think about them. It changes the way that we think about our life. It makes us ask this question. What if our present suffering is really just a setup for future victory? What the cross was. Jesus' present suffering is set up for future victory, his and ours. Our world is dying for resurrection life. I know this to be true in my own story as of late. Many of you know um, Kim's health story. My wife's health has not been great for the last few months. And there's days, it feels like Good Friday in a way. Um, it's just like there's no hope. Like we don't know. Things are ever going to get sorted out. We're confident she'll be okay. It's not life-threatening. We don't think anything like that. But just like, is this the rest of our life? Is this the way it's going to be now, forever? You know, or is there hope um, for some sort of cure or some sort of medicine that can help or for her to be healed or whatever the case may be? We're longing for resurrection in her story, in her health story, right? It could be discouraging in the midst of that health battle. Many of you know exactly what that's like as well. 
So where are you longing for resurrection in your story right now? Health-wise, relationally, relationally, career-wise, financially. Well, here's our great hope in the message of Christianity in a nutshell. It's that the resurrection of Jesus changes absolutely everything. Past, present, and future. This is grace for the past, faith for today, and hope for tomorrow. If only we'd raise our gaze from our present circumstances and troubles and looking at our past and our sin and how unworthy we are and how broken we are. If only we'd raise our gaze beyond what we can see, beyond our current circumstances, and look to the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ instead, the one who brings us new life. And so this morning, we want to take some time to testify to the resurrection of Jesus together as a community of faith. I love that language, by the way, of testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. It's straight out of the book of Acts. If you join us on Sundays, you know that we're journeying through the book of Acts together, the story of the early church. We're in Acts 4, verse 33. It says this, The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Love that. They testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This is what we want to do here together as a church family. We want to testify to the resurrection together. Now, none of us were there. We aren't eyewitnesses to, you know, bear literal witness to the resurrection of Jesus, but we can bear witness. We can testify to the difference that the resurrection is making in us and how God in Christ is raising the dead to life in each and every one of us. As imperfect as we may be, as much as we might still struggle, as much as we still may have questions and not have it all sorted out, we want to testify to the resurrection together in the past, you know, how he changed the past, the present, and future. And so practically, here's how we're going to do those three things we're going to do here this morning as we testify to the resurrection together throughout our service. First, we're going to be hearing a few different personal resurrection stories and testimonies of God at work in different people's lives uh, from within our church community here. These stories are going to be interspersed throughout our time together here this morning, um, and it's going to be awesome just hearing how God is raising the dead in some people's lives in our very church. So that's going to be awesome. Secondly, we're going to be worshiping God through song and through prayer, which is what these songs are. They are prayers to God. And so actually I'm going to invite the band up to get ready because we're going to do that in just a moment. I want to encourage you, um, wherever you're at in your faith journey, just to sing these songs with hearts full of praise and wonder and adoration of Jesus this morning. To engage in worship of our resurrected King. And then thirdly, just to give you a little bit of a heads up, later on, I, I mentioned this earlier, but we are going to actually open the mic after we hear stories, three stories from different people in our church. We're going to open the mic and I'm going to invite you, the congregation, to come forward, if you like, in, in 60 seconds or less. 60 seconds or less, right? Maybe even 30 seconds or less, like just a couple of phrases and sentences. I want to invite you to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus in your story. To answer the question, um, how is Jesus raising the dead in you? What's happening in your story? In your, where is something that you once thought there was no hope, dead, gone? 
and how Jesus is breathing new life into your story in the midst of that challenge. We're going to do that together. Open mic a little bit later. And friends, let me say it again. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And because of Jesus and the empty tomb, we are no longer slaves to sin and to death and evil, but are now alive to God and to his love through Christ as he continues to raise the dead in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's celebrate this new life in Christ together, knowing that while death, death still exists, sin still exists, it's just a setup for future victory. I invite you to stand, going to pray, the band leads us. Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered sin and death and evil. And even though in our own stories and lives, sometimes we don't see it or feel it or know it, we live in a Good Friday world, you've called us out to live as Easter people, resurrection people. And you're raising the dead. You long to raise the dead in each and every one of us. And for some of us, that feels instantaneous. For some of us, it's a, it's a journey. Um, but we know that you're at work by your spirit, longing to draw us closer to you, longing to raise us from the dead. And so we invite your spirit to do that this morning as we worship you, as we testify to the resurrection together. Amen. Hey, I'm Jeremy. This is my resurrection story. A bit of background about me. I'm uh, from Malaysia. I was born there, but uh, we immigrated when I was really little, so I'm pretty much Canadian. It was, uh, my brother was five, I was three, my little sister was six months old. My parents said, you know, tropical weather is no good for this family. Let's go to Ottawa in the middle of January. So here I am. Uh, really, my dad made that change, you know, to make a better life for us all. And uh, if you have kids, you know, like, that's a big deal. And I look back with a, a lot of gratefulness, you know, that my dad made that decision. Um, and this is a bit about... My family's 2019, which was a, a pretty tough year for us. Uh, so my dad had been traveling to Europe for work, and he had a significant heart event while he was overseas. Uh, and like all men would do, doesn't matter where you're born, all men would, you know, not talk about that for a couple weeks, just like pretend it didn't happen. Um, eventually, he told my mom, and uh, you know, he was scheduled to have a triple bypass surgery. Um, and at the same time, my uh, little sister, she was uh, going through what was a cold that just seemed to linger for a couple of months, uh, and they did a scan, and they found a mass in her chest, and said that she had cancer. Um, and that was really hard for us. That was actually Easter weekend in 2019. Uh, as a family, that was a lot of pain to process. Um, just the uncertainty of what happens next, right? And uh, I'll tell you the sad part, um, because I know that most of the people I've met at this church are like heavy dog people. So we had a family dog named Samson. He was a golden retriever. He was a really good dog. Um, he was getting close to the end of his life, and uh, my dad was obviously closest to him. 
And my dad was in the operating, not in the operating room. My dad had gone to be prepped for surgery. Um, and they actually sent him home, and they, they had an emergency come up, so they sent him home. And when he came home, the dog had taken a turn for the worse. And we were really grateful to God that my dad was able to be there for that and not, you know, recovering in the hospital. But, you know, he called us all over and said, you know, come visit Samson. We're probably going to take him to the vet tomorrow. And uh, Samson passed away that night. And, uh, yeah, really grateful to God my dad went in for the surgery a couple days later, not having to have that on his conscience of, you know, what would my mom do if the dog passed away while he was, you know, recuperating in a, in a hospital bed. Um, my sister started chemo, and that was a really painful time. Uh, comes a point where, you know, you just realize what matters and what doesn't matter. And, you know, all of your stuff is really just stuff. It's all pretty replaceable, and people are not really very replaceable at all. Um, but the story has a happy ending. You know, we're four years later. My dad's really healthy. My sister's cancer-free. And I wanted to read um, a verse that you know, meant a lot to me throughout this time. In uh, Romans 15, 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think about uh, something Pastor Jeff had shared uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, sorry, a couple months ago now, where he said, you know, life is messy, you know, just because you're following after God, it doesn't mean that things will start necessarily falling into place or you won't have hardship. The hardship still comes. And uh, the difference is that, you know, you have something that you can hold on to for hope. You have uh, an anchor that can kind of see you through that, that calamity or that trouble. You don't really, you feel despair. Of course you feel despair, but, you know, you have hope that, you know, God is there, and God is with you. And, um, you know, when Pastor Dan Byrne was preaching here, he said, on the Great Commission, he was sharing, and he said, you know, God's promise is that I am with you always. And I thought that that was really impactful because it reminded me that, you know, that is the promise. The promise isn't life will get easier, and the promise isn't that, you know, your health will be perfect throughout all of life. The promise is that God is with you. And so that's my resurrection story. Oh, one last thing. I, I, sorry. One last thing. My brother-in-law, who, you know, probably had, I'll say, the tough, one of the toughest times, aside from my sister herself, throughout all of this, when I shared, when I told him, you know, I was going to kind of share his story um, and her story, he said, yeah, that's, that's a good thing to talk about. There was pruning, and there was a lot of pain, but there was fruit at the end of it can look back and say, you know, look what God brought us through. Are you done now? Okay. <laughs> Why don't we give Jeremy a round of applause. Thanks for sharing, Jeremy. I love how um, God worked in your life through, in your family's life, through some difficult, really difficult things. I mean, your friend, your dad's health, sister's health, even losing a dog to show you that he's present with you. 
in the midst of those challenges. It's true for each of us, too, no matter what we're facing, that Jesus is present with us. Uh, that because he's risen from the dead, the Spirit of God dwells within each and every one of us who believe he's with us. Let me pray for Jeremy. Jesus, thank you so much for the, um, the way that you've been at work in Jeremy and Mila and their family's life and, and uh, Jeremy's um, parents and siblings as well. And the way that you've been uh, pruning and um, producing fruit in their story, in their life, through some really difficult things. And we do pray, God, that you continue to do that in his life, to produce fruit. Uh, in him, even, even as he faces current challenges, future challenges, that his hope would rest in you and you alone, um, and that he would experience your, your presence with him in it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Kenyon, and this is my resurrection story. As many of you know, my trust and beliefs in life changed about 10 years ago when I lost my husband to mental illness and suicide. Within eight months, I had lost my marriage and partner, adopted to a different job, and was faced with a blank space where my life had previously been envisioned. I felt abandoned by God, betrayed, and was very angry. I felt a lot of guilt, shame, sadness, and sometimes despair as I grappled with the unexpected turn in my family's life. I thought I was a terrible person. I hadn't been able to save my husband and the kids were now without a dad, and I felt responsible for this. I had no idea how I could redeem this. At times, I begged God to take away my pain, as it felt so excruciating. A year later, I moved back to Ottawa with my sons, and then Kristen moved in next door, which brought me to the gathering and gave me a partner in life and in crime to get through the following years. It is here that my spiritual family, the support I would need to continue processing the person I was and the person I continue to grow to be. I slowly learned to be grateful for the small gifts from God, friends and connections, home churches, job opportunities, positive role models for my sons, and the slow rebuilding of trust that I would get through. I had rebuilt a relationship with God, and as a mental illness hit my house again through the pandemic in the form of major depression and anxiety, I placed my trust in God that he would not abandon my family. This gave me the peace I needed to sleep at night and find the help I needed. But as a perfectionist and struggling single mom, I kept Jesus at arm's length. After all, he was the reminder to me that I was imperfect, that I was not like him, and he could not understand me. We simply could not relate. I mean, he was a great guy. He could change water into wine, and who wouldn't want that? But I was overwhelmed and tired and running around to do things to make me a good mom, a good friend, and a good worker. I recently returned to school to complete a master's in mental health support while working full-time as a healthcare worker and being a single mom. I had always wanted to go back to school when I was married, and I felt pulled to do this. But after a year, I was exhausted, and I questioned not only my ability to do this, but if I had heard God's will for my life. Had I misunderstood God's calling? 
I will not be able to finish this. I am too imperfect to do this. What does God want me to do? This feels impossible. Who do I think I am to believe I can do this? I couldn't save my own husband. My past, my insecurities, and my failures all came back to haunt me. I met with Pastor Jeff to talk this out and discern all the unrest and confusion about my understanding of God and my fear of the consequences of my decisions to take financial resources and time away from my kids to pursue a greater purpose. It is here that I cross paths with Jesus. Jesus died on a cross because we are imperfect, crying out, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Jesus did understand my despair, asking God, Why have you forsaken me? Jesus trusted God's will for him, and through his own experiences of suffering, believing in the redemption of our failures through the resurrection. Through the Bible and learning about Jesus' life, I slowly started to see his heart. After the loss of my husband, I just wanted to feel loved, like I wasn't a bad person, no matter my past, and it was okay for me to just be me. Walking with Jesus isn't a wake-up-one-day-and-your-life-is-figured-out deal, and it feels like a constant review of what I've done today that pleases God, so he'll protect me from bad things like suicide. But Jesus teaches me that there is nothing I need to do to earn God's favor. This was redeemed by him through his sacrifice and resurrection. I instead need to look towards being like him, forgiving, trusting, believing, and loving. And this is how I will find the peace I'm looking for. And even though I am human and therefore imperfect, Jesus' resurrection gives me hope that while I'm trying to do the right thing, my failure and my pain are redeemed. That suffering is universal. However, there is life through forgiveness, sharing who we are, and believing that we are loved. This is my story. Thanks so much. Why don't we thank her? We love you, Corinne. Hold on, we're going to pray with you. Love you so much and so glad that you're part of our church family and the way that God's at work in your story, as painful as it is. And uh, I know that that resonates with many of us here today, too. So let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that you are um, bringing life uh, to Corinne, bringing her, uh, kind of rising her from the ashes into something new and beautiful and redemptive and healing and something that uh, only you can do. Only you can mend a broken heart. Um, only you can restore a story like this. And we thank you that you're doing that and that we get to be a part of it with her. And continue to pray for Corinne, just that you'd fill her with your Holy Spirit, lead and guide her as she looks to, to live for you, to follow you as you lead her. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Ted, and this is my resurrection story. Some of you know me, some of you don't. I'm pretty new here. Um, but I thought you'd give you a little bit of my backstory. 
So I grew up in a really strong Christian family that had basically three priorities, family, sports, and God. And depending on the week, you could kind of jumble those however you want. Um, just to give you an idea, I have three older brothers. Two of them competed for Canada. Another played college basketball. Uh, one became a teacher at the Christian school. Another became a pastor. The other serves the down and out in our city for the last 25 years. So that's kind of what I grew up with. That's who I, that's what I knew. That's what I expected my life to look like as well. Until I was about 17 and I was playing football in gym class and I was running an interception back because of course I caught it. Uh, and I stepped in a pothole and that was the last competitive thing I ever did. Up until then I thought my life was going to be scholarship, university, compete, 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 figure life out and move on with my life and meet a good girl raise a Christian family, all those fun things. But all of a sudden, everything kind of stopped. Um, so I decided to do the next best thing that I knew, which was go to Bible college, because that's what good Christian kids did. And I got there, and I realized I was terrible at this, and I was not made for that life. Um, I fell into a pretty deep, deep depression. I really struggled for a couple of years just trying to find my place, knowing that everything that I knew wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to look like. During the season, my dad also came down with really bad form of cancer. So my three pillars in life all of a sudden started to fall apart right in front of me. Um, and it left, just left me basically unmoored uh, as far as what I thought life was going to look like and what I thought I was supposed to be. Um, I didn't know what that meant anymore. I was fortunate to fall into a really good group um, when I was living in Southern Ontario, that kind of put me back together. Uh, and I got involved in a youth ministry there um, where we basically built churches around kids. And it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen. It was the coolest thing I ever experienced until that fell apart. And I was left once again wondering, what is it exactly that God is pulling me into? What is God pulling me out of? And why am I here again? So we moved back to Ottawa, or I moved back to Ottawa. Um, married that good Christian girl that I was always hoping for. Um, and as we were kind of heading towards marriage, my dad unfortunately passed away. So I have all these kind of things that are building blocks of struggle, kind of one on top of the other, just not knowing where God was having me. Um, so we decided to get involved with the church plant, thinking that was the next best thing to being in ministry. Um, and it was a great experience until it wasn't, and we saw a lot of people hurt, and we saw a lot of people in pain, and my wife was on staff at that church. Um, we just really struggled together as to what God was actually pulling us into and pulling us out of. Uh, so, again, we're left waiting and wanting and wondering where God is going to have us. So, we find another church plant, and again, things go sideways, and here we are. So, as you can tell, things have been going great for me. Um, uh, so we have our, we're just about to have our first kid, and I've been feeling for some time that God's calling me out of the job that I was in. It was just, it wasn't where I was called to be anymore. Um, so I took a step of faith, and I left, and about three weeks after my daughter was born, and about a month after I left my job, I found out I had a degenerative eye disease that was going to leave me blind. Um, 
this was easier in the basement. Um, so now I'm unemployed. Um, the financial cost that comes with that. Um, not really in a planted church at this point. Um, struggling just relationally. Um, not knowing where God has me or where he's taking me. And I'm just feeling, again, completely unmoored in where I am in my life. Um, and I'm going to stop there and just read a little bit of the Bible because hopefully it makes a little bit more sense. Um, so this is from Acts 9. And I'm just more of a, a story person than I am an individual word person. So this is the story of Chop, or of uh, Peter and Dorcas. Um, it'll make a little bit more sense in a second. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha. She was uh, always kind for other. Uh, she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About the time she became ill and she died, her body was wa- washed and uh, was prepared for burial and laid in the upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydia, so they sent two men to beg him, "Please come as soon as possible." So Peter returned with them. As soon as he arrived, they took him to the upper room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and the clothes Dorcas had made for them. Peter asked them all to leave. He returned and he knelt and prayed, and he asked Tabitha to get up. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called all the widows and the believers, and he presented presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Um, strange story to tell uh, compared to mine. Uh, but there's a lot of subtext in the story that I just love. One, um, it, <laughs> there's three things, really. Uh, so Peter gets called to this place, and he's kind of in the wilderness himself, and he's trying to figure out where God is going to bring him, because he was the person that the church was supposed to be built upon. He was the one that was called by Jesus out of the boats. He was the one that was supposed to lead them going forward. And here he is just in the country, countryside just trying to figure out where God has him to go next. Um, <laughs> so now he gets called into the upper room. There's a dead body there. There's these women who are showing him all the nice clothes that they have on. And then he gets to stay at a tanner's house. Now there's three really important things here. One, um, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Jews have some rules. Uh, they're not supposed to be around dead bodies. The women are showing him the nice clothes because Dorcas is making these clothes so they could avoid having to fall into prostitution, basically. So you're not supposed to be around women of that nature. And three, uh, there's also rules about being around certain types of meats. So Peter, at this point, has basically done everything that Jews are not supposed to do. But he's exactly where God has called him to be. So all the struggle, all the wondering... And Peter is basically in his Neo moment at the end of the Matrix where he realizes that I've kind of figured all of this out. I'm where God has called me to be, and the struggle is okay. And the, my favorite part of the whole passage is not Peter comes, he brings Dorcas back to life, and he leaves. It's Peter brings her back to life, and he stays. And I think sometimes we think of our struggles in life and wonder, are we supposed to rush out of here as quickly as we can, or is this part of my story right now? And I think what I've come to realize in the last couple of years is I'm not renting in Joppa. I'm, I, I own a house. <laughs> that pain is just part of my story now. And that's okay. 
God brought the struggle into my life. I don't need to run from it. I need to run towards him through it. And I think that needs to be something that we really hold on to in our lives is sometimes struggle is brought to us for a reason. And sometimes we have to live through that. And, and sometimes we have to experience that because we have so many things in our life that we have to let go of, so many religions that we hold on to. For me, it was sport and family and religion itself. And I had to realize that God had me through all of those times. God had me through the loss of my dad, through the disease that I have now that's basically closing my world in on me. But he is faithful, he is good, and he's alive. And so am I. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Ted. Let me pray for you, Jesus. We thank you for Ted and the way that um, through incredible pain and difficulty, you have brought him to life and you have revealed yourself to him. And I love that line about not running from the pain, but through it to you. And I pray that you continue to give him the courage, the strength to do that when he does want to run, um, to not run away, but to run through it to you. And I pray that for all of us as well, God, as we all will have challenges. Some of us are in challenges now and pray that that word would sit in our hearts, um, that we would look to you through these challenges. In Jesus' name, amen. I know we all have stories. Here, here's what I want you to um, consider this morning as we think of these stories, as we think about that statement that the resurrection changes everything. Wherever you're at today, in this moment, this is not the end of your story. This is not the end. So somewhere in the middle, and maybe for some of us, towards the end, <laughs> but this is not the end of your story. And there is a God who longs to walk with you in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through to bring healing, redemption, hope. You can't find that anywhere else. And anything else, everything else, you know, they overpromise, underdeliver, <laughs> but they never fulfill. And so we look to Jesus, the resurrected Christ, our Redeemer, the one who brings hope. Amen? Let's try this one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. But let me pray this prayer of benediction over you as we go. May you know the power of the resurrection in your life, living as Easter people in a Good Friday world, a world full of death and pain and disappointment and challenge and strife. And may you know the reality that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Your past sin and shame, your present struggles, your future hope. And as you go out into God's world, may you look for the risen Christ in those that you meet. Letting the Holy Spirit lead you moment by moment. And may the joy and wonder of that first Easter morning live in your hearts today. And every day. for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com, and tune in next week to The Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.